Hi, and welcome to today's ResiCast. We're talking about retail to residential conversions with Steve Springham, who's Head of Retail Research at Knight Frank, with Rob Williams, who's Head of Retail Agency and Development at BNP Paribas Real Estate, and Johnny Caddock, who is Co-Founder at Moda Living and Director of Caddock Group. Steve, I'll start with you. How much, um, how much positivity, how much doom and gloom are you seeing in the market? What, what are some of the, the headline pieces of data right now across across the retail landscape? Um, I mean, obviously, there's there's more doom and gloom than, than positivity at the moment. That's not telling anyone what they don't already know. Um, it's really understanding, you know, what's gone wrong in the UK retail market um, and you know how it gets itself out of the hole. Um, well, there's too much of it, isn't it? Um, that's one of the issues. I mean. You know, if you if you believe the media, and I would 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 strongly argue against that. Um, you know, it is really fundamentally caused by the rise of online and and sort of economic uncertainty. Well, um, hang on. What, what what's the media suggested that's fake then? Um, I mean, the the consumer side of things is is most definitely wrong. I mean, people are still out there spending money. All the official stats back that up. Um, the online piece is probably more complex than they've given credit to. So it does definitely speak to the the oversupply piece. Um, but yeah what we're really seeing is a number of structural failings um, come back to haunt us, you know, think mistakes of the past, if you like, now coming home to roost. And what about just badly run businesses? Because, I mean, if you look at different businesses in fashion, there are some that are going through CVAs and there, there are some that are doing pretty well. Absolutely. I mean, fashion, it's, it's interesting you pick out that as a sector because if we're talking about oversupply, that is most definitely the most oversupplied um, subsector there is in retail. So it's inevitable that, you know, if there is pain in retail, as we are seeing, you know, that it will, you know, the fashion sector will be at the forefront of that. Um, and as you say, as you rightly say, um, you know, there, there, there are good players out there and bad players. So it's it's kind of sorting the wheat from the chaff. If you so like. this, this polarisation, which has been a continuing thread theme for the last 10 years, it's now being exacerbated, isn't it, by all of the things that we're seeing? It is. I mean, it's you know a lot of this has been swept under under the carpet for too long, and and you know there comes a point when you know it feels like a you know a, 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 you know, the, the dam's bursting, but really this is just you know a number of pressures been building up for a number of years. And, and Rob, that is is the dam bursting? Is that is that something you see? I think the dam is bursting in terms of certain retailers not taking up leases again when they get to a what we call a lease event as a lease expiry or a break clause. Um, they're seeking to renegotiate with the landlords and for the last two or three years, a lot of landlords haven't found the rental that retailer wants to pay palatable, um, sometimes due to maybe the valuation of the shopping centre and they have to sort of hold that in, in their minds when they're agreeing terms with retailers. But I think we're starting to see that shift now as people realise this isn't just a passing fad, it's actually a trend that's here to stay. Well, Simon Wolfson came out, didn't he, at Next's last results and said, you know, we see sales declining by 10%. Yes, that's right. And I think actually, you know, 10% in some time, in some ways, isn't bad. I mean, there are retailers we see where we see figures from shopping centres doing much, much worse than that. But conversely, there are certain ones who are in positive territory. Um, and as Steve says, it's, you know, fashion is really strange that, you know, you get a number in a scheme that could be 5 to 10% up. You get some who are 20 to 25% down. There's no real rhyme or reason. Maybe that retailer gets it slightly right that season. But the ones who are good, seem to have stayed good for the last two or three years and the ones who are declining seem to keep on declining and yeah we've seen the inevitable cvas and such like of those where it hasn't worked out and and that's what we saw 10 years ago wasn't it i mean when the cvas started kicking off in 2009 with blacks game 
um, with, with some of the others that some of them are still around blacks so obviously survived game has survived uh, others haven't yeah I think I mean it's it's interesting isn't it? I mean more and more commentators are now suggesting that retailers are using CVAs as a way to reduce their rental liability it seems like this is a negotiating tool isn't it correct and, and, and I think that's what commentators are suggesting I mean we don't see the actual figures of the retailers to understand whether it's actually true or not but there's also a stat that I heard the other day that 90% of CVAs actually end up in administration at the end of the day. So how successful is a CVA? Well, it's a good, it's a good point to make, Rob. Johnny Caddock, in terms of your experience in the market, I mean, how, how have you seen retail property evolve and, and what role do you think there now is for, for housing to help it out? Um, <clears throat> well, we've historically done a lot of retail development in the regions and we started to see in about 2012, because we have a, an industrial side to our business, a logistics side, we started to see a big take-up on that side. And uh, we know a lot of people in that side of the uh, the industry. So we saw this shift and we started focusing and, and kind of finishing off a few of our retail schemes and then just focus on that logistics side. And we've seen that, that trend. And we kind of saw it quite early because of those early conversations. Um, where we see it going as a group is that these that in the development world, um, the schemes that will be coming forward will be truly mixed use, um, where we feel that the existing retail stock, unless it's in very high value residential areas, um, there will be a workout of some of this. There will be maybe some more pain to follow for some of the values to be crystallised. And then there will be development opportunities. And we're having a number of conversations now as Moda with, uh, with various landlords at different stages. It is difficult to make them viable. Um, the, the values have to be right. Um, and that's, that's land values and obviously the rental values. Um, but we're starting to see some, some opportunities come through. So, yes, it could be a good opportunity. And, and, and Stephen Springer, I mean, that is, is a point, isn't it? So from, from Knight Frank's perspective, obviously out of every cyclical downturn, there is some upside. And presumably, you are working with some of your clients to help identify where that ray of light is. Yeah, I mean, it's you know we're we're uniquely placed on the, on the the sort of consulting side because obviously we have a big residential development um, business as well as as, as a retail agency. Um, so yes, it's it's right. We are looking at some assets, um, but it's it's a difficult one because well, what's of, the starting point? So how do you, if you if you're called up by you know, retail landlord X. Let's not name any names. But what, what you know, what what's the first set of questions that you guys that you guys ask? I mean, it's 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 about the viability. If we're talking, for example, a shopping centre, which we we, we probably are. Um, you know, if it's a failing centre, then we'll be asked. You know, how 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 could it be fixed? And you know, I think the first. All things being equal, that you know, the primary course of action will be to make it a viable shopping centre. Um, if that is not an option, then it's really looking at the alternate, alternate uses um, and where retail sits within that. So, you know, alternate uses can be anything. I mean, residential is is usually the first port of call, but you know, it could be absolutely anything. Could be offices, could be leisure, um, it could be sort of community uses as well. So, I think. Because the retail markets are... Because I mean, in the States, I mean, WeWorks transformed one of the big Sears stores, doesn't it? Yeah, to, to service it offices. has. I mean, the US is, is a bit different. I mean, they've got... It's a funny thing because they've... Well, it's not funny, but um, you know, they, they suffer from oversupply over there as well. Their sort of levels of oversupply are very different from the UK because their sort of geography and, and land values are so different. So, you know, you do have this whole notion of, of, of desert mouths in the US that, that are or ghost mouths, you know, that are, are fundamentally empty and have next to no value 
thankfully we're not quite there in the UK yet, but there are certainly some that are, are struggling and, and would, would lend themselves to alternate use. And uh, Rob, in terms of the development side of this, um, how much of a silver bullet is a residential development? Because I guess some would make you think that you can just simply, you know, put a few extra floors on a building, bring in an institutional investor, jobs are good, and, and go back to the Maldives 20 years. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's probably right. Um, you know, it's, and it's not as easy as that, as Steve suggests. Actually, it's not all about retail today in any case. It's, you know, town centres, historically people think retail. Today, town centres, it's civic, it's community, it's medical, it's education. It's what people want to come and use. It doesn't have to be retail. I think that's that's the first big difference. So we've got to start looking at ourselves as to what is the ground floor use, what's the activation? But actually, the activation of that ground floor use is only from the people living above it. So you've therefore got to build the resi up above. Yes, it's got to make money. If it doesn't make money, are there grants available? But it's a, you know, we're really in, I think, in our infancy of how town centres are going to evolve over the next five or ten years as sort of social gathering places rather than places to come and shop. And what sort of places, Johnny Caddock, get that right? I mean, out of, you know, different places that you've been to, different parts of the world, you know, what, what places understand that, the sense of being able to amble around? Because what we're talking about, isn't it? It's just being able to amble around and just hang out. Well, I think, I think every different location, I mean, the, the locations I know is where, where we're building across the UK is Moda. So as far up as <clears throat> Edinburgh, over to Liverpool and down to, to Brighton. So Edinburgh is a great place to amble, well, isn't it? Though, it's, is it's, it? it's number one on my ambling list, actually. So uh, I, do, I do love a good amble in Edinburgh. Uh, but no, the, the, the city is very vibrant, lots of independent shops. Uh, we've got a scheme in York as well, which obviously is you know, another historic town with lots of shops. And I think these independent shops are what attracts a lot of people because that's what people can't buy online. And that's what people want to go and see. I mean, as Moda, when we do have ground floor uses, which we do across our schemes, we deliberately don't go for national multiples. We go for local independence. Uh, we go for complementary uses that we feel is extra amenity for our schemes. So, for example, in Angel Gardens in Manchester, we brought um, PKB, which is Pot Kettle Black, which is a um, local independent coffee shop and cocktail bar uh, to go beneath our scheme. They're also providing services within our our development and the other use that we brought in is a 10,000 square foot gym use which is another independent uh, new entrant to Manchester uh, fantastic health and well-being and gym operator and they should have about 3,000 members and we'll have a thousand people in Angel Gardens and that's where we see build to rent with complementary uses like that and it can come in and activate. But I think you're quite forward-looking there Johnny because historically a lot of landlords wanted 20, 25 pounds per square foot to a national covenant that they could bank, put a 5% yield on, sell it, thank you very much. Because you're coming from a PRS background, you understand the value of income flow. And actually, to you, I think it's more about, is it the, the level of sustainable income from a use that's going to add intrinsic value to your, you know, I, I guess your residence on the upper floor rather than having an income stream you can sell on the ground floor. Yeah, it's, it's, we, we look at it, we talk about our residents as customers and we think, what will they want on the ground floor use? And they say independent, soft uses as well. Our original tenant mix plan was restaurants and bars. And we thought, well, hang on a sec, you don't want to live above a bar or a restaurant. It's the kind of thing you want around the corner where you can go visit and you can go see. But to live above it is disturbance and noise. And do I want to have a, a cocktail bar right next to my entrance every day when I get home from a hard day at work and I'm seeing people drinking cocktails and celebrating it, you know, as a wellness concept, which we, you know, we're, we're big focused on, it's not a very good, you know, we call it a hard use. So different things like that when we're, when we're curating with, uh, with 
with build to rent. But you know, there's some very large build to rent schemes out there that can provide really good retail provisions. You know, there's some schemes, you know, look at Get Living that's going up to a thousand, if not more than a thousand units. Mode of Living, we've got schemes approaching 700 units. There is a lot of people in these schemes which can provide a lot of footfall, but not on their own. You know, we talk about the gym uses, we talk about the coffee shop uses. They're not just for our residents, they have to be part of the wider community. What are the banks' view on Covenant? Because obviously they were very, very tough on that in the past. Um, are they more relaxed now because they have to be? Or uh, I think the banks see and the investor group see it as part of the mix, part of the, uh, the, the blend, as it were. But what they're looking at is the total offer for the scheme. And what we look at mostly is about retaining our customers within the scheme. So you want a fully let scheme. So part of those ground floor uses are a tool to do that. So, and, you know, talk about footfall generator, a gym. So Hero, which is going, and they expect 3,000 customers. That's bringing 3,000 people to our scheme every day or however often. And that's great because we want people to come to our scheme and see the scheme. So so they, they kind of go hand in glove, really. So that's why retail and build to rent can be, can be great assets. And from my shopping centre background, we view it as a, you know, if we've got a scheme, it's a £150 million scheme in Manchester that has to market itself to the city centre constantly, as a, as, a, as a retail asset would do. There's a similar proposition there, really. And, and Stephen, when we think about valuations, obviously that's been a, a bit of a challenge for the listed retail landlords of late. There is this massive disparity now between the asset value and share price, which suggests the markets are anticipating fluctuations in price. It's, it's quite different, isn't it, for the fund managers? Yeah, I mean, working in research, I, I sit between our capital markets and valuations teams. Um, quite interesting discussions between the two, as, as I'm sure you can imagine. I mean, the difference is um, valuations move slowly um, for, the, for, you know, for the very simple reason that's the way the whole model is set up. You know, they need evidence. If there's no evidence, they can't push values out um, to what 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 they may be. Where the capital market guys see see things very differently. This is what somebody is willing to pay for this asset in the, at this point in time. So, and what, what is the appetite from 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 a capital markets perspective at night front? Um, I mean, I think yeah, the market is very subdued. I mean, it, it does vary by 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 property type. I mean, some of the smaller lot sizes, so the high street stock, that's probably doing okay. Retail warehousing, which we haven't talked about, is 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 holding up more so on the the sort of the solar sites than 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 the, the, maybe the fashion parks. Shopping centres are very, very tough for the reasons we've discussed. You know, there is this big, big differential in expectation between, you know, there, there, there's, there, there's a ready pool of buyers, but not at, not, not at the pricing we've seen, really. But I think, I mean, some of the NAV difference comes from, you know, you buy a shopping centre that has Debenhams, Topshop, New Look, Jack Wills, Karen Millen in it, and you think, I've got a contract that guarantees me £100 of rent, suddenly within three months, £100 is £50, and there is nothing you as a landlord can do about it. And so, you know, that's why, why would you buy into that sort of income flow? Well, there, there is stuff you can do about it. You can, you can challenge it, but you're, you're right. It's, there's so much uncertainty, and if, it, it depends on, on what sort of fund you are. But, yeah, it, you could buy other property classes or other, any, any sort of asset classes that are less complicated, there's less risk, um, certainly than shopping centres at the moment because of, you know... The, the issues we've had around CVAs and not just the retailers themselves that are doing the CVA, it's it's the knock-on effect it has with all the other operators. So it's very hard to get a handle on, on exactly where rental tones are these days. And um, so, so how do you then, from a pricing perspective, hit a number? So if, if someone's coming to you saying, well, I'm interested in buying this, what should I be paying? How, how are you getting to a number now? Um, 
With difficulty, because you have to, I mean, you can, you can take a, a tenancy schedule of a shopping centre. Um, you have to take a view on, on each and every tenant. Um, obviously, we've still got ERVs and things like that to go on, but you have to sort of see beyond that um, and take a view as to, you know, the likelihood of that tenant doing a CVA, um, walking away at next lease expiry. So you'll see that, you know, lease is expiring in two years. You're kind of second-guessing what that retailer is going to do. So it's it's a very very piecemeal piece of work involving a lot of lot of assumptions th- and guesswork, quite frankly. I just think one of the challenges is the uh, the debt market, which seems to have more or less evaporated for a lot of retail, especially retail development. And the debt market is very skeptical, so they're actually trying to unwind their books of, of of retail. So then you look at who's replacing those that debt market, and it's the kind of more kind of expensive, um, kind of traditional kind of stretch debt market. So that has a pricing impact on, on, on the valuation. So it's kind of like a compounded effect from what we're seeing when we're looking at buying, uh, buying retail. So the question is, if the knife's falling, it's where do you catch it? Yeah. I, I always think we'll get a lot more probably scientific in how we approach value. It's to do with the retailer turnover and that being sustainable. And actually you need you know, retail researchers or retail research houses to work with you that understand what a retailer can drive through its tills and what its profit margins are. But it's also the, the, the halo effect that the physical stores provide in generating income off the web. It, it, it is, I think, you know, because they can at present, retailers are reluctant to give you the upside of that. Again, there are, you know, there are a lot of stats of, you know, a, a store, a new store opens in a town their online sales go up and their store hits budgets because actually they've got free advertising. And you've seen conversely where retailers have shut in towns, their online sales have fallen away because people don't see it. They can't take it back there. They can't go and touch and feel it beforehand. So it is inextricably linked. However, at present, a retailer will tell you that it maybe can't divorce those two sales. So therefore, you know, it will only it'll only pay you rent mm. on the sales it generates. I think, I, think, I think that's true up to a point. I think... Often retailers don't know. I mean, there's, there's, you know, the way we shop these days is it's it's multifaceted. Um, I don't think a retailer can quantify if someone goes to a store, um, orders it online at home, you know, effectively using the store as a showroom. I don't think that retailers have any handle on on quantifying how that that sale got to be made. So. There are grey areas. I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree that, that, but that retailers then, won't always be, be as honest as, as they may be with, with turnover figures. But I, I what's think, your view there, Rob? I don't know if it's about being honest, but doesn't the landlord therefore miss out? That The landlord's the one providing the bricks and mortar and the cost of it, and the retailer might not be adequately sort of recompensing him for the provision of that service. Yeah, I mean, that would be the landlord perspective. Um, the retailer perspective would be, you know, landlords have, have, it, have had it their way for so long... Um, it, it's our turn to, to sort of, you know, to have yeah, the balance and, of power, really, I suppose. Yeah, and, and yeah, I have some sympathy with that, but there's got to be, and I think we will work together over the next few years to find that balance. But, you know, the two have got to coexist together for, because retailers need the stores, landlords need the retailers. At present, we don't have the right model. You know, does someone like Europe have a better model? And, and Johnny Caddick, in, in coming back to the, the development play, what are the sorts of sites that you would be interested in developing on? So when we're looking at, some of the more harder hit tertiary centers out of town retail retail warehousing what are the sorts of locations that would work not just for build to rent but but for resi of any kind yeah it's all got to be about value and viability so um the major the major you know 10 15 uk um towns and cities uh areas where you've really got to have uh, resi cat values over 300 pounds a foot um london inner m25 absolutely works in in most cases 
Um, and yeah, there, there are opportunities. And, and at the moment, what we're seeing is because the sales market in London and the inner M25 is slowing down slightly, there's opportunities for build to rent there as well. So yeah, it, it's a challenge, but um, we're starting to see some glimmers. I think we've also seen where there's raw development land where you know, there might be um, a phase two of a scheme or an opportunity around a, a, a retail park that's a bit dormant. It could be an old shopping uh, car park for a shopping center. Uh, an old department store, all these different things with uh, big floor plates uh, we're, we're looking at. And, and I say, the values have got to fall a little bit further, but in, in, some, in most circumstances, but we're starting to have some uh, really exciting conversations now. So, so Stephen, just, just to bring things to a close then, what, 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 what would you expect to happen over the next 18 months if we're forecasting up until Christmas 2021? I mean, we're, go- we're going to get more of the same. I, I mean, I think in terms of, Occupy a fallout. So I think we've seen the, the thick end of the wedge there. I mean, you know, Debenhams and, and Arcadia were the big two we've, we've anticipated. Yes, they will, there will be others, but I think we're, we're slowing to a trickle because I think, you know, most of, you know, there's a limited window you can have on that. And I think that window or that door rather is, is slowly closing. So um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. But I think in terms of, I'd look beyond sort of 18 months, you know, what is the town centre of the future going to be like? And if, you know, going back to the pressing, you know, retail's, had its day it's dead I, I i think you know that's fundamentally wrong i think you know retail will still you know play a fundamental role in most town centers you know in 10 years time but i think i think we'll have taken a you know a more holistic view of what a town center needs to be it needs to be about people and it doesn't necessarily just have to be about retail so i think yes i think we'll see retail footprints decline which i think will be a good thing um but i think we'll have hopefully more relevant town centres. So medical and, and welfare, social and... Anything that involves people. I mean, this bingo is... This, this is this, more this, bingo halls. Well, maybe these things mm. go, go in cycles. I mean, if you look at Tempin Bowling now, that's making a massive mm. comeback. And, you know, 15 years ago, it was a very, you know, a dying thing, whereas now it's, mm. it's a vibrant thing. So who knows? These things do... do, do you, you, may see a, you may see a local authority sh- knock down a shopping centre and create a green park in a city centre that brings people into the city centre. With real trees. There Can you, you imagine that? Could you? Um, so, so, Rob, what, um, from your perspective, what could the government be doing? Are there any, any levers that could be pulled from a, a planning perspective that could help redevelopment occur? So whether we're building you know, bingo halls, parks, or a new darts or shuffleboard emporium, what, what, you know, what could we be doing centrally to help this? I think there are two things. There is the planning side, there's also the financial side. Um, we need to see more blurring of the use class orders because um, at present you have to apply to planning to change anything. And actually, if that was blurred a bit like the um, empty office space to residential conversion, which I, you know, I think worked very well, more things along that line that actually take away the bureaucracy from being able to redevelop will help developers be able to do something much quicker than they can currently do. We're also starting to see a lot more grants coming through and grants being available from central government and local authorities. So via Homes England as well. Correct, absolutely. And and I think, you know, it it is marginal at present, the viability, especially, as Johnny says, in some of these smaller towns and cities. Um, What we need to do is help them get up on their feet because there's certainly the demand from residents, I think, to want to live there. They're just not able to pay the price compared to building the space at present. So, you know, maybe there's more of a modular housing answer that's cheaper to build. Uh, And Johnny, to to ring things off then, how far things have to fall before before we see more 
BTR in, in shopping centres? I think it's on a case by case basis, really. And uh, you know, we, we say we're seeing different different opportunities in different areas depending on what the the tenant lineup really. And that's ultimately if they've shopping centres are becoming vacant in retail. Um, and, the, and the location could be about the values um, outstripping what what the uh, underlying retail value is. So, yeah, it, it's it's very on on a circumstance. But we're having some interesting conversations. I say some of the towns where they're in the poorer locations, that's where it needs the intervention, and that's where the local authorities have got to step up or government support. But as, as we've all said here today, really, it's not about just retail. Town centres are about mixed use. Residential is a component of that. It does pull people into the centre and it does have a knock-on effect, but it's one and all part of a solution. So opportunism, intervention and maybe a bit of invention as well. Thank you, Johnny Caddock from Mode Living and Caddock Group. Thank you to Rob Williams from BNP Paribas Real Estate and Stephen Springham from Knight Frank. This has been a Property Week podcast for Resi. I'm Andrew Teacher at Blackstock. Thank you very much for listening.